Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's give these guys a hand. They, they, make, they make incredible music. Now, for the First Methodist visitors who are among us this morning, the organ recital is at one. Anyway, thank you all. You know, the, the, the saying goes, and it is true, if you've got good music, good musicians behind you, you can be a four or five on the, on the, on the, on the scale of, of preaching uh, effectiveness, uh, but you can be, you know, and you'll sound like a ten, but you can be a ten on the scale of effectiveness in preaching, and if you don't have a good music crew behind you, you'll sound like a four or five, so uh, I expect to come across as a ten plus. Uh, here today, but we'll, I'll, I'll let that up to y'all. Uh, how about that? It is good to be at Asbury. Like Trudy said, it's always coming home for me to be at Asbury. Uh, started at Asbury in uh, November of 1991, part-time. Every other, I mean, I, I came home every weekend and uh, preached every other Sunday until I graduated in, in June of 92, and then I went as a full-time associate here and was here uh, until 2001, until they uh, appointed me to San Benito, was there two years and and went to Smithville, where I spent 14 years before now this position as assistant to the district superintendent. So it's good to be back in the Coastal Bend uh, area at least part of the time. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. However you do the math, Trudy, it's been 20 years since I left Asbury. Uh, as far as a staff person. So anyway, unfortunately, I hate to think about that, but it, that's the way it works. Anyway, well, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I will be a living sanctuary for you. Well, my friends, what are we asking for? What exactly are we asking for? What are we praying for when we ask God to prepare us to be a sanctuary, to be a living sanctuary? Well, the Apostle Paul had something to say about that in a letter he wrote to the church at Ephesus. Now, he wrote this letter. The underlying theme of this letter is unity within the church. Uh, So unlike some of his letters that he wrote, to some of the particular churches to address a particular problem they were having or concern they were having. This, this is thought to be a very general letter. It's thought to be a circular letter. In other words, he wrote it to the church at Ephesus, but he really uh, intended for it to be passed around to the churches in the area. After all, if there is not unity within the church, how do we expect unity in the world, right? Well, today's passage comes at the very end of this letter, and that's very obvious because it starts out, finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand 
on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. And with all of these take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. And pray also for me, Paul writes so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I may speak. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. So before we begin to sort of unpack this text, if you will, let us address the question what does it mean to be a living sanctuary? Well, the definition of the word sanctuary refers to a sacred place believed to offer uh, personal security, a safe place. According to my Bible dictionary, very early sanctuaries were set up in places where some natural grandeur moved people to worship or where they had theophanies meaning where they had a personal encounter with God, like Jacob did at Bethel. In our local churches, the main room in which people gather for worship is referred to as a sanctuary, even though, like Asbury, we might not call it that. We might call it a worship center or whatever, but it's what it is. It's where we gather for worship, a room where people hopefully feel like they're in the presence of God and feel safe. How about our homes? If we are truly striving to live in the Spirit, hopefully those who enter our homes should experience a sense of the holy, should they not? Now what gets confusing is, uh, is when we walk into someone's home and the walls are decorated with crosses and all sorts of Christian symbols and plaques with scripture on them, and, and yet maybe that's not the attitude we experience from the person or persons living in that home. Now, surely I'm not talking about your house or mine. I have to confess this morning, though, uh, there have been a couple of occasions where I have regretted <laughs> putting that Christian symbol on the back of my vehicle after I have responded to someone who has cut me off in traffic or has cut somebody else off in traffic. If you want your faith tested, your faith tested, my brothers and sisters, you just go spend a couple of days in Austin, Texas. Well, you get the picture. To ask God to prepare us to be a living sanctuary is to ask God to prepare us to be Christ in the world. Every day, everywhere, 24-7, to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Christ. 
that, that in and through us, others might experience the holy and feel safe around us. That in and through us, others will come to know God and God's incredible love for them and for all people. However, singing that song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, I hate to tell you that's not going to be enough to actually prepare us to stand firm in the face of the evil that surrounds us. Now, it's going to take some real work on our part. Now, I'm not judging how much you've been working on that all your lives, but, you know, if we're going to have a future for the church, we've got to step it up. We all need to step it up. Now, you know, we, we Methodists, we United Methodists now, we don't like to talk about evil too much. We don't like to talk about the devil. And we don't like to talk about Satan. And we sure don't like to talk about spiritual warfare. That term kind of gives me the willies. Spiritual warfare. But you know what? We're drowning in spiritual warfare today. We are drowning in spiritual warfare today. You see, the minute we stop being the church, the minute we stop focusing on our mission, which is to make disciples for the transformation of the world, right? To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I love your statement. We're here to love people, to bring about transformation, and to make disciples. That's it. Now the point is, saying it and doing it are, you know, two different things. The minute we stop, the minute we take our focus off of the main thing, which is Jesus Christ... Well, those who do not support that effort of making disciples for Jesus Christ, they're going to step in just like that. Like the situation in Afghanistan. The minute the, the, minute the troops are drawn out, the minute those who have been standing firm in the face of the Taliban are removed... Guess who moves in? And they moved in so quickly, it is mind-boggling, is it not? You see, that's why Peter wrote in his first letter, First Peter, he said, it's chapter 5, verse 8, Discipline yourselves and keep alert, because like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around, looking for someone to devour. Friends, our churches are in the state they're in because we have not been focused on, on making disciples. Not like Paul's talking about. You know, we haven't been getting in, up in the morning and praying, God, Put somebody in my path today, somebody I might witness to, somebody I might share my faith with. 
Now, we get up in the morning and go, let's see, what do I need to do today? I mean, I'm preaching to me too. We have to ask ourselves the question, when was the last time I intentionally sat down with someone, invited them to my home, asked them to go to lunch with me or have a coffee, and shared with them my relationship with Jesus Christ and how important that is to me. And, and, and doing that in an effort to either maybe introduce them to Christ or maybe just to build them up and, and support them and move them a little forward in the relationship that they already have. And we have to ask ourselves the question, when did I last do anything like that? <laughs> Today we, we talk a lot. Now you have to know in this position that I have now, which I love, by the way, uh, I stay in, in the Coastal Bend District um, and I work with approximately 22 churches uh, and, and I work with the part-time pastors. Okay, So that's about 22 churches and approximately 15 pastors because some of them have two-point charges. And, and I'm talking about everybody, you know. And I, I love this position. I love the working with a small church. I grew up in a small church in rural Ohio, and, and, I, and I have a heart for the small church. And when I started out this gig about five years ago, I mean, there were several of our churches, like it, 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 the writing was on the ball. We're just biding our time. You know, we're using up whatever funds we have uh, because we're going to have to close the church. It's like, what? There are people living here. There are people living here. Do not tell me they all have a church home. Why would we close the church? And by the grace and power of God, I think we've turned a few around. They're beginning anyway. They're not closing. And they have hope. So it really is a, a pretty exciting uh, appointment that I have. So we ask ourselves that question, how many people have I really talked to recently about my relationship with Jesus Christ? Oh, I might have invited them to come to church, but today we, we talk about our poor attendance and, uh, you know, we, we blame it on somebody or something like COVID. You know, we are told that uh, many who have died from this virus, particularly those who have been vaccinated, were and are persons who have under, underlying, situ, you know, pre-existing situations. Persons whose immune system has been um, affected and uh, they just, the body doesn't have what it needs to, to fight. You remember the story, so, you know, so it's not so much COVID, but the, the, the existing, pre-existing situation. You remember the story in, in, in Luke's, uh, in the Luke, uh, 15th chapter of Luke's gospel, 
uh, we refer to as the prodigal son. A great story. I'm sure you all know it. How one of, uh, how one of this man's two sons came and asked for his inheritance. While the father uh, seemed to be pretty, pretty well, you know, pretty healthy and running his uh, farm. And yet the one son apparently, you know, maybe didn't like life on the, on the sheep farm. And, and so he, he's, he comes and says, I'd like to have half of my, my half now. I'd like to have my share of the inheritance now so I could go off, uh, make a life for myself, not be on, on this farm, you know. And so um, I hope I have two sons. I hope neither one of them asked me to do that because I'm still spending their inheritance. But this guy, this father, gives it to him. He's like, okay. He figures it out. This would be your share. And the, and the, and the son leaves. <laughs> and, and he goes off and to the big city, and he, he's having a great time. And uh, he's squandering, actually, his inheritance on loose living. And uh, a famine hits. A famine hits the land, and he wakes up one day to realize he has nothing. Zero. And he also realizes the pigs (laughs) are eating better than he is. So, you see, it's, the famine here was not the issue. That's not what, what brought him to this devastating reality. It was the pre-existing conditions, the bad decisions, and the lack of responsibility that he had been uh, living out of. But that was not the end of the story, right? At least he... Uh, he comes to grip with the truth, and he says, you know, my father, the farmhands have it much better than I do. <laughs> they got a roof over their head and food to eat, and, and, I, and I'm going to go back, and, and I'm going to apologize to my father for what I've, for what I've done, and, I, and I, just, I just hope and pray that he will just give me a job as one of the farmhands. And so he makes his way back home. And you know this father, of course the father in this story is the father, our father, who loved his son unconditionally. And you can just know that every day, three or four times a day, he went out on the porch and looked down the road to see if maybe he could see the son coming home. And one day he did. And he shot off that porch. And he ran down the road to meet his son. And he grabbed him and he hugged him and he kissed him. And he was so glad to see him. He threw a party. And he forgave him and he offered him his place in the family once again. You know, 
just like the famine was not the issue in this story of the prodigal son, COVID is not the issue when it comes to the state of our churches today. However, like the famine, you know, God brings great things out of bad things. And to me, the great thing out of famine uh, or out of COVID is the fact that it, has, it, it woke us up. You know, we couldn't meet anymore. We're isolated. And it woke us up to the reality that if the church is going to have a future, then we're going to have to start doing some things differently today. We're going to have to start doing some things differently today. And you know what? Like the father in the story of the prodigal son, Jesus is more than ready to meet us where we are, to forgive us and get us back on track to fulfilling this mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And the good news is that in and through the power and presence of Jesus Christ, this picture of the church today can begin to change. And it's going to change overnight because we've been working on this for decades. But it can change. And we can have hope that our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren will know the church and Jesus Christ. According to one poll in 1940, 73% of all adults were in church on a regular basis. And by 2020, only 47%. And quite frankly, that seems a little high to me. You know, it's like Jesus told his disciples so long ago, he said, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In the ninth chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning there with verse 35, we read, and then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That, we're the laborers. We are the laborers. And there are a lot of sheep out there that have no relationship with the one true shepherd, Jesus Christ. So, here we are. Now, we can wallow in this current situation, or we can choose to stand firm in the faith and welcome what I see as an amazing opportunity to build up the body of Christ. I believe this is a very exciting time, actually, for the life of the church. You know, that's kind of what happens in life with all kinds of stuff. We kind of have to hit bottom before we start going the other way. 
I think COVID has done that to, for us. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I will be a living sanctuary for you. But again, you know, it's going to take more than singing that song. Even if we sing it prayerfully, it's going to take more than that to become equipped to do the work Jesus, and in this case, the Apostle Paul, is calling us to do. And that's what Paul is spelling out for us here in this letter to the church at Ephesus. He's calling us to come together to be one in Christ. So focused on the mission of the church that we are one in that. One in Christ. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything with each other. But, but we move beyond that to go, wait a minute, let's, let's, what's, the, what's the real focus here? What's the real mission and become one in Christ in making disciples. Because I was listening to a sermon online a week or so ago, and uh, it was actually uh, Saddleback Church, and it was not Rick, Rick uh, Warren. It was, a, uh, it was a guest preacher, and he was talking about discipling. And, it, and it's like, you know, we, I was just talking about, you know, if it, once we stop discipling, once we stop being the church, guess who's going to move in? Discipling is going on every day, 24-7. If the church isn't discipling, oh, you can get discipled through Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, but it's not necessarily the truth. But if we sit back, then evil moves in. You know, did you note Paul is writing this letter from prison? Yeah, he spent a lot of time in prison. <laughs> I mean, he wrote a lot of what we have in the New Testament from prison. He was in there because of his faith. But, but did you notice he doesn't ask for prayers that his situation changes? He, he doesn't ask that his chains somehow fall off and he gets turned loose and he can move around again no 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 he doesn't ask for prayers but he asks that in the midst of his current situation that God can use him from where he is as Christians do we not hope to be like that I do but that's going to take being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power not our power and we have to put on the whole armor of God if we hope to stand against the evil of this world. Uh, occasionally, I, I pick up uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, and I want to share a little bit uh, from him uh, this text today in his words. Now, we began our text today with the word finally. We know it's the, it's the end of the letter. Paul's wrapping it up. And that's exactly what Eugene Peterson says. Well, that about wraps it up. God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. 
This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get from every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is the indispensable weapon. That's why we need to know what this book says. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Pray hard and long. You know, that's what, what Paul meant in his letter to the Thessalonians. From chapter 5, verse 17, when he said, pray without ceasing. In other words, learn to live in an attitude of prayer that just throughout your day doesn't mean you're not listening and doing other things, but you are so tuned into God that you're just kind of living in that attitude of prayer. Beginning with verse 15 of that fifth chapter of First Thessalonians. Paul writes, see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Every time I'm reminded of this particular text, I'm reminded of when I graduated from high school a few years ago, like 1965, from Garraway High School in Sugar Creek, Ohio. There were 65 of us in 65. And you know, at the end of the year, you, you kind of put your yearbook together and you have your uh, all kinds of stuff, but you kind of have your class motto. And this, this was ours. This last part, test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. It's a big assignment. Sorry if I woke some of you up. Big assignment God has given us today, yeah, brothers and sisters? But it's not an impossible assignment. Because God is faithful. And for God, all things are possible. Because Jesus said so. It's recorded for us, Matthew 19, verse 26. 
for God, all things are possible. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy and tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Heavenly Father, this morning we join our hearts and our minds together and we pray that prayer individually and corporately today, asking for you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, asking you to somehow put within us that craving that desire for you and your presence in our lives at every moment of every day putting within us this, the desire to be to go from this place today and and be thinking and looking for someone that we might talk to even today about our faith in you and how important that is to us and how you have blessed us in so many ways we pray dear god today for for the sheep out there that so need a shepherd. And we pray to, to be willing to risk it all like Paul was. Even if we find ourselves in jail. How from there can we still get the word out? I pray for the church universal. I pray for this church which holds a huge part of my heart and my love. I pray for your new pastor, Forrest Divini, and Trudy, and all the staff, all, all, the, all the people, Tad and others, and I pray for this wonderful team of musicians, and I just pray for each of you because you're the church. The people are the church. And I pray again for the church universal because the, the world so needs it. I pray, Heavenly Father, for our brothers and sisters everywhere. I pray for this situation in Afghanistan. I pray for the people in Haiti. I pray for the first responders, for all the people suffering and the families that have lost loved ones and friends because of the COVID but I pray that their lives will not have been in vain that we become different people because of this whole situation I pray for our brothers and sisters on the west coast thousands who have lost their homes and others still running from all those fires I pray for those firefighters I pray for the people today on the east coast up in the northeast being hit by a storm today. It seems like every day there's something somewhere that is affecting human life. And help us to be the church. I, I give you thanks today for the ministry of our church, the United Methodist Church, and particularly the, the United Methodist Committee on Relief, that arm of our church that gets in there wherever something happens with, with all kinds of relief with people, with counselors, with money, with food, with medical supplies. They're already in Haiti and everywhere they can be. 
Thank you for being a part of that ministry. But we got to stop sitting back and just putting in our money and hoping somebody else does the job. When it comes to discipling, that, that needs to be us. And so help us, O oh God, to be faithful as you are faithful. That indeed the situation can change. We know it will with your help and your power. And we are so grateful for that. And we pray as Christ taught us today as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen.